0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Enterprise Linux Security. I'm here with my partner in non-crime, Ciao. How are you?
1: I'm good, Jay. We'll probably have some non-criminal tips today, so yeah, stick around. This is going to be a fun one.
0: Yep. And today what we're going to do is talk about five security myths, and we're going to bust those myths. We might have a few more that we'll tack on as honorable mentions Mm -hmm. later on, but we have I mean, there's so many myths, we could probably do like three of these you know, throughout the history of the podcast or more, but we, uh, before we started recording, we decided on five. We have five, so that's what we'll be going with.
1: Yep. And yeah, I don't know, do you want to dive right into it? Let's dive right into it. Okay. So the first one that I would like to approach is something that is actually very timely and relevant to the things that are going out in the world today which is cybersecurity insurance. Um, Most insurance companies have come out with some type of insurance that you can use to protect your company assets in case of a security breach or a ransomware attack or something of of that type. And the thing is, um, all of those policies will include some fine print like an insurance policy does, including this very interesting uh, detail there that says as an exclusion. Um, does not cover acts of war and that's something pretty significant right now when there is a very important war going on and especially in an industry like ours where every single security incident seems to be easily attributable to one of the the players in that war at the moment like so-and-so happened because it was a state-sponsored attack by this country or another and so that cybersecurity insurance that you think is covering your your assets and that you can rely on and not take actually care of your systems in a secure way that, like you should um it won't help you in the end because the insurance company will always have their way out of it if they do not want to pay you they will have that out in the contract and you sign well. that and they can always claim that, oh, that incident, it was caused by an attack group from this country. And now we're not going to, to pay you because this can be construed as an act of war. And you have no way of proving otherwise. So if you have yeah. this type of insurance policy, do contact your insurers, your insurance company and do try to get them in writing to say that they will cover it and they will not try to bail out on you in case of a problem. Yeah. Um, we have been seeing on the news that uh, cyber attacks and cybersecurity incidents have been happening more and more obviously but not all of them are actually related to the war the thing is it's not something that you can actually prove on your own and uh, going to court and trying to get a uh, decision on this will take way too long and it will probably be useless in the end
0: yeah it probably take a lot more money to yeah. pay for that coverage than it would i mean pay for the legal issues that would ensue than Um, you know, hiring a lawyer and all that to defend your opinion that it should be covered than it would just to pay for the entire insurance policy. You're you're basically spending more than the entire insurance policy at that point.
1: Yeah. And um, we're bringing this up because this might give you the false sense of security that you have, this safety net there, that Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as important to pay attention to security things because you're already covered by this. And we would not like you to fall into this situation where you have been attacked, you have been breached, your data is inaccessible because it was a ransomware event, for example, and you have no way of paying the ransom. And now you have no compensation from the insurer. So you're really screwed and you're on your own. So try to avoid that. If yep. you can, try to contact your insurance company if you have this type of uh, of uh, contract in place, try to get them in writing to say that they will help you in case this happens, that they will not try to bail on you. Because, um, I don't know, large players in the insurance field, like Lloyd's in London, they actually added some clauses to the end to their new contracts, their cybersecurity, specifically related to war incidents and war events. And uh, yeah, basically anything can be construed as money.
0: Yep. So you definitely need to know what your plan covers. Don't just have like blind confidence that you're paying a lot of money. So you're okay. You may not be okay. And yeah, get it in writing. Also when you do call, you know, write down the date, um, you know, who you spoke to, if there's a ticket number, jot all of that down because unfortunately, I mean, I hope you'd never need that information, but if they later on say, yeah, we're not covering that, then not only do you have it writing that they said that they would, but then also you have like, some kind of a history who you spoke to and all that other stuff to kind of help you out there, too. Um, it might sound obvious, but um, if it was, then we wouldn't be mentioning it. <laughs> so
1: Yeah. Um, it might not be that obvious because this has been publicized a lot uh, recently yep. from the rise of the, the ransomware events that we've been seeing over the past couple of years. And at the time, they did not have this out there was the no war going on that they could rely on to, to escape paying this but this has already been brought to court even and the court, the trial has been ruled in favor of the the insurer actually the the ones that had the insurance policy that had the ransomware event happen to them um and the company was forced to pay but you do not want to get into a legal battle over this if you can avoid it obviously mm-hmm. um, This is pretty serious. Some companies will neglect their security aspects and their security measures because they believe they are covered by this. Uh, They may not be. This is very important and you really should look at this.
0: Yep, I totally agree. So definitely do that. Don't wait, don't procrastinate, make sure you, you understand this. It's very important. Now, the next myth that we have on our list to obliterate, to bust, to defeat is the myth that all hackers are bad guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really hate this one a lot uh, for many different reasons. Um, so you could blame Hollywood for part of this. I mean, media there's all kinds of players here that perpetuate this because you just think of like the if you see any movie that depicts hacking it's usually some some ominous music playing while someone in like goth clothing because you know all hackers wear the same thing which is completely uh, completely false but just painting the picture in your head and they got this seriously intense look on their face and they're just on the keyboard, and there's like these 3D flying wireframes, and they're just navigating and, and crunching codes, trying to break into the server. No, okay. Um, no one type.
1: No one makes a mistake and presses backspace, for example.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a big, Oh, wow. Good one. Um, but I mean, that's another myth in and of itself. That um, you know the Hollywood hacking thing, but specifically that hackers are always bad guys. Uh, you know, there's security researchers out there. There's people that, you know, want to help. You know, they'll say, hey, company, just letting you know privately under the radar that I noticed a little something on your application or your site that I really do think you need to patch. Because if you don't do that, I just, I don't know. I don't just, just letting you know. And and that's great. But the but when you think about hackers as bad guys and this mentality um, that really poisons the security industry because that person who is just letting a company know responsibly, you know, maybe this person, they don't want money or anything. They just want to let someone know, or do a good deed, you know. Um, then they end up in handcuffs. Why? Because them letting a company know that there's a problem, the company, you know, gets really upset. A hacker? Oh, no, they're they're bad. And then they call the police thinking that like they're trying to um ask for something or you know be a bad guy and they're threatening without threatening or what i don't know what they're thinking but either way there's this stigma around hackers um and i want to set that record straight because yeah of course there's bad actors out there and we talk about them all the time but there's also people that want to do good they want to audit code they want to um you know help out let people know responsibly And it's really sad that there's so many people out there that discover security bugs and they're literally too scared to let people know because they don't know if the company that they might be telling is the type to to call the police on them or to thank them for letting them know.
1: Yeah. Um, You can actually find out about uh, a security flaw in one of your systems in one of two ways. After you've been hacked or your data has been breached or because somebody warned you. Of course, if you don't do your due diligence and have your penetration testing and all of that in-house, but from an external actor, it can either be through responsible disclosure and the keyword there is responsible, and you should have a policy for responsible disclosure. If you have any type of public system, you should have the link somewhere that says, okay, if you found some an issue with our contact us here and have just an email form or some address where somebody can reach you. Um, because the alternative is you get breached and you get hacked and your systems get your information gets stolen and it comes up somewhere in the dark web and you don't want that if you could just trust that someone that's warning you is actually trying to do something nice and positive then yeah that might be better than having your data breached and accessible elsewhere
0: right absolutely i mean if especially if a person is telling you not only that you have a flaw, they're telling you where it is and, and, you know, where the flaw actually is found. I mean, it's not that they infiltrated your system. You probably have a port open and they probably found that, well, it's, you know, vulnerable to something. Um, I don't think personally any hacker that means harm is going to let you know exactly where the problem is because why would they let you know what you need to patch for free? They're not asking for anything. They're just letting you know this is where the problem is. Um, if they were wanting to do ill will, then they're literally eliminating the very thing that they might use to break into your system. But that being said, you know, there's there's all these different fields. There's ethical hacking, for example, which is a whole field about, you know, ethically hacking, mm-hmm. where you're learning how to be a hacker but not to do harm because you want to know, you know, how the how that process works, how to protect a company better. Um some of the things that you can do with that mindset, ethical hacking is actually um one of the coolest sounding uh, job titles mm-hmm. I think that exist ever um but we don't we want to make sure that we don't uh perpetuate the stigma against hackers because just like anyone else, there's good and there's bad um It would be nice if we had a term to separate you know bad actors from the good hack actors but and we do it's just it never caught on early in my career, we would call. I mean, well, actually, hackers were just anyone that was just writing code, hacking on code. It doesn't mean that they're security related. And then you had crackers, which is a horrible term um, for the people that break into things. And it's no wonder that didn't catch on. So I'm trying to train myself to uh, maybe just say bad actor or something instead of hacker when I'm speaking in a negative context, because I really don't like to draw the correlation hacker bad, because that's not always true.
1: Yeah. And... Sometimes it's understandable why somebody might be a bit reticent, might not be trustworthy to someone that's coming to to you and saying, okay, I got in, I found this issue, you should fix this. Because he did get in, he did find the issue, he was poking, and maybe he shouldn't have been. Um, And I can understand how you might not like that. But if you have a responsible disclosure in place, if that person followed all the steps and they went through all the hoops that you put in place to get that information to you, and he didn't went public with that information, which is something that is really bad, and he gave you fair warning and some time and proper information regarding the flow and all that, even if you don't trust the system afterwards and you'll re-image it, and it's perfectly fine if you do because somebody that wasn't supposed to was actually in the system, it's okay to not trust that system at that point. Um, you shouldn't just turn him over or turn her over to law enforcement because he was actually trying to help and follow your procedure. That's why you should have a procedure for this type of events. And it's just again, so, yeah. for any type of company that has any public presence, you should have this, even if it's just a website. Have a form that people can use to to get in touch with the security team. for example. I found this issue, and I got into this and that, and you should fix this it might not be used correctly 99% of the time but if it helps you fix a security issue in a month or in half a year or something like that it will have helped more than you know
0: absolutely and and i just feel like you know when when companies just try to use law enforcement against people trying to do something good it's just it's just so horrible for many reasons like we mentioned but it's it's pretty much the equivalent of me walking down my street and noticing that my neighbor's front door is open, and then I give them a call. Hey, just letting you know, you're, you know, I'm jogging right now. I noticed your front door's open, so you know that's a big problem. And then having the police called because apparently I was trying to break in. No, I was just letting them know that the door was wide open. And some and, and to draw that correlation, sometimes, yeah, they might have gotten past something they technically weren't supposed to get into, but it's also perfectly feasible that there's an open door. There's an open port vulnerability. It's It does, didn't require any inside access to find this. It, it's so glaring of a hole. It's like right out there in the open. Um, so don't, don't jump to conclusions. Have that um, policy in place. Definitely follow it.
1: Um, Did you follow that story about the reporter that found the social security numbers in the page, in, uh, on a government page in the U.S.? I don't recall the state, but um, this reporter went to this uh, government page and he looked at the source. All he did was in his browser, click on view source, and he noticed that the form was actually showing all the numbers and just filtering the one that he has searched for. Okay. But all the data was in the code behind. So he did that. He alerted the IT team at at that uh, government agency. And they set the police on him and they were actually trying to convict him and he had to go to trial for that. And it was absurd. It was not that long ago. It was, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago. I I wish that that, that
0: surprised me, but it doesn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's exactly that. And he did try to warn them and then, yeah, it's stupid like that.
0: It's horrible. Yeah. So I guess if you are a company, have the policy. If you're not a company and you're the person looking or just noticing things, follow the policy. If there is no policy, be careful how you report it, but just make sure you're following yeah. whatever, and respecting the company's um, you know guidelines for reporting. Um, if they don't have that, then I don't know. It's just kind of becomes a gray area, area for me because I don't want to recommend someone, well, just report it anyway and then they do and they end up in jail and it's my fault. But um, just protect yourself. Number one, um, obviously, make sure you're following the policy and just, um, you know, do your due diligence on both sides. So, the next myth, number three, which is one of um, my favorite ones that I've been itching for a chance to rant about this, but then I decided that um, I shouldn't rant about it (laughs) because, you know, that's not cool. So, I'll just try to be as unbiased as I can here, but this is something that has been irritating me for my whole career, and it's um, regular password changes. And I see this all over where it's generally agreed on that, you know, having your employees replace or change their passwords regularly, you know, 30, 60, 90 days helps security. Um, Now, it can help security. For example, let's just say you have a bad actor in your system and they're just kind of staying under the radar a little bit. You know, they're not even like that loud. They're not spiking up the CPU. They're kind of grabbing some stuff. And then, um, you know, they got the, they have the password, right. Of, of a person and they're using it daily. Then one day it expires and they can't get in anymore. Okay. that Now you can make some arguments here, right. That um, you, your password policy change period was like 90 days and they've been in your system 90 days. That's a bigger problem that they got in there in the first place. Um, but what, what I found during my research and also in my career, I've always kind of wondered, why are we doing this? Because what I've noticed, especially when I was doing help desk, is that people will almost always use the easiest way around everything because nobody wants to make their job harder or go through any hoops that they don't have to. Um, people generally understand security, although they may not admit it, but they understand at least some of it they'll just change the number at the end of their password, add another exclamation mark. Or if you have like a policy of 10, you it has to be completely different than the last 10, they'll just cycle through the same 10. Um, There's just all these bad password hygienes. And what studies have found is that it's actually the case that regular password changes, while it can do some good, it does more harm, a lot of harm, egregious harm in your security hygiene. And um, employees will take shortcuts and it's just more important to actually have, like, you know, so password hygiene is important. Like, you don't want ABC123, obviously. You need to have some kind of a uh, policy here. But I have yet to see a situation personally where I felt that regular password changes helped. And then when I did some catching up research today, like, NIST is actually recommending not to have this policy in place, believe it or not. And it's actually perpetuating that um, what results in research have shown that regular password policy, change policy should be abolished. And I personally agree with that. I know this is going to be something that's going to be pretty divisive in the audience because there's going to be some edge cases and, and alternate opinions here. But the thing is, if I was a bad actor and, you know, I am, I have a, a password for an employee, I want to hack in and do some things that are bad. Um, I don't think my Verbiage is going to be, well, you know, they have a 90 day password change policy. So I'm going to wait 90 days. There's this code of honor that I have to follow. I'm going to let the password expire and then I'm going to break in or whatever. You know, if you have a password change policy that's 90 days, then the outside actor has 90 days to break in. If you have it set to change every week and all that's tedious, if the passwords change every week, but they have seven days to get into the system. And I just don't see the logic in keeping this going anymore. Um, Obviously, password changes should be allowed because if someone has reason to believe that their password leaked or was compromised in any way, then they need to be able to change that password and know that they should change that password. But forcing them to change it just because the white paper said to is just not something personally that I see as adding value and research is actually showing that it's counter to value altogether.
1: Yeah, it's like that line in Star Wars. It's a relic from a more civilized time. Um, when you have the, when you, this started to be a sync, it was because it used to take that long for passwords to be conceptually hackable. Right. right? It was when computers had that amount of computing power. We, we actually talked about this before starting the, the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned this. And the thing is, over time, computing power has evolved, obviously so it's even faster now and it's even more likely to get breached in a smaller amount of time so if this was a thing that was supposed to fight that then the policy should be adjusted accordingly and we should have like password changing like every 12 hours for example Mm -hmm. to make it reasonable to achieve the same goal as it usually originally intended and the thing is that's not practical practical in any way that's not doable nobody's going to be accepting that in any way. You'll have your employees fighting you every step of the way if you try to implement something stupid like that, and rightfully so. And the thing is, passwords are still a thing. Passwords are still around because of the inertia, because everything is built around passwords. And we really should be looking at changing our, our security focus here from passwords to something safer and to something like hardware tokens or single-use passwords or I don't know there are other ways to do to do authentication for example personal certificates like we discussed in a previous episode when we talked about certificates um one of the things that we have in most European countries and we also talked about this before um is that we have national id cards I know in the US there's a strong opinion against that But in Europe, it's a common thing. Most countries have national ID cards. And one of the things that the latest generation of cards, and by latest, I mean early 2000s, started to have was that each national ID card had this smart chip that had the personal certificate there that you could use to digitally sign, to authenticate, to all that. And that's safer than a password. It's your card. It's more secure. It's longer. It's not something memorable. It's harder to guess. It's harder to crack. And it's more practical. And yeah, but the thing is, the the password inertia that's in place. All the systems have been built around passwords. You're used to using passwords everywhere, so they're probably going to stick around for longer. But uh, the better than having that change your password every amount x amount of days should be moving to something safer.
0: Agreed. And and I think what really makes this mindset hard to break is that well, it's a mindset. I mean. It's very common that CTOs and even some administrators out there, they they have it in their head that having a password change policy is very important and you have to have it. Now, there's varying reasons why someone might feel strongly about that. It could be because of some outdated uh, security audit thing that they've undergone at their company. That's a requirement because you know they're still using old information. It could be that, you know, they've had a long career and early on in their career in college, it was taught that this is important. It could be a white paper that mentioned that this is important. And people generally don't, like, contest things. Um, I'll give you an example. So I had a conversation with a CTO one time and um, I let him know, you know, basically what I'm saying now, that password change policies don't actually benefit security. And he gave me this look. He's like, because it was an in-person conversation, like, okay, um, you know about security? Like, I would highly doubt you know anything about security if you have that mindset. You must be brand new <laughs> or something like that. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, actually thinking outside the box is important. Yeah, I mean, you might be taught a certain thing. I think it's important to research and understand each component. And sometimes, and this actually not sometimes, all the time, things that we thought we knew in security becomes untrue or is no longer true, no longer compatible, that we can't just have this default set of knowledge like these are the things that must be the case we never question it we never think about it again we just do it because that's what we're taught Um, now a lot of those things might still be the case but every now and then what we thought we knew about security comes out to have a negative value or no value at all in the case of password change policies and um, I think the word is starting to finally get out there but we still have the same mindset in that mindset, it's probably the same reason why passwords are going to stick around for a long time because you know, why change it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the thing is, everything changes, technology changes, and new, more secure ways are discovered and are implemented, and all that. And the IT field is actually pretty good at embracing new technologies, it's just that changing processes is very slow. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the new technologies we can get the new operating systems working with the new technologies pretty easily but we cannot change the processes we cannot make people do things differently and that's something that we're struggling with in it over the years
0: that's why fido2 hasn't like completely taken over everything because um in my personal opinion and i think most people back me on this like if we were able to replace passwords with something better and not have passwords anymore Sure, security wouldn't be perfect; it never will be, but it'll be a lot better, a lot safer. You know, at some percentage safer. Because you see, a lot of issues that we run into are because of passwords, but we still have them after all these decades. Why do we still have them? Well, because changing policies and things like that is is, is hard to get people to do.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely that. Um, hardware tokens, like you were mentioning, the the FIDO two things. Yeah, that would help. It would be even easier to use them than passwords. You wouldn't have to memorize all those long strings of characters or just write them down in the post-it that gets glued to the monitor. Um, Hmm. And it would make things easier. It would make you log in faster. It would make you authenticate easier in your home banking server. Yeah, it's just a question of abandoning the old ways and embracing the new.
0: So I... I'm going to put a in the show notes an article that I've read. I'm not going to totally spend too much or practically any time on it at all because I don't want this to drag on. But um, FIDO2 is something that I I think I, I think the first time I've talked about it on my U- YouTube channel was in my Yuviki video, which is a, another hardware token. And I don't go into in depth about FIDO2, but I discuss what it is. And essentially, FIDO2 is the proposed or one of the proposed replacements for passwords in general, where you have, um, as I understand it, you have you have a key relationship here. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into what it is because you can watch the video, you can Google it. Um, but also, um, the question comes up, you know, okay, if it's so much better than passwords, then why isn't everyone using it? Um, well, it's easier, yes, it's easier, because sometimes it's because something is harder that people don't want to use it. But this isn't that. FIDO2 is easier. It's just that... Um, and, and this is what the article talks about, that one of the reasons why, in addition to the reasons we've mentioned that change is hard, that people don't use this, is because, well, how do you implement this in a way that, I mean, yeah, it's easier to set up your hardware token for authentication, but what's not easier is if you lose it, right? You lose that physical key and you got to replace it. Maybe different services have different ways of regaining access to your, or having you regain access. But... Um, It'd be so much better if it can sync some kind of way to where, you know, someone's laptop dies and they get a new one or whatever, and then everything downloads back to it again. Because if you have, if you put it on the people to to keep their hashes or their, you know, keys if it's digital in a certain place, they may not. So this article talks about that, and they feel like this is the missing piece. I would say that user adoption, the missing piece is, you know, people don't want to change, but I do agree that synchronization um, is very important here. So I'll put a link in the article. You can read more about that. They also talk about Apple's solution um, that I won't get into, which is kind of what sparked Mm -hmm. this mindset of, of how they're thinking. I hope personally that passwords go away soon, but I don't think that'll happen, but Um, I'll have a link to that article.
1: Yeah, and we'll happily keep changing our passwords every X amount of
0: days. (laughs) The next myth, I think, is pretty quick to go over, but it's really important, and that's the mindset that if you see that green padlock or the checkbox or the green something or other in your address bar, that you're safe, you're good, everything's fine. You're all good there. Um, I want to adjust that mindset here because If you don't have that, if you have like the red X, the broken padlock or whatever it is that your browser uses to symbolize that you are not on a secure site, if that's the case, you should never trust that site, period. That's a problem, okay? I think we can all agree on that. Now, the counter to this though, is that someone might assume that, okay, the site is secure. I do see that green icon or whatever it is now. So I'm good. No, it just means that there is a certificate the absence of a certificate is a huge problem. The presence of one doesn't necessarily fix anything because if there was like a, I don't know, a certificate that was loaded in, into your system via a vulnerability um, and it's actually honoring that certificate, then yeah, it shows green. Okay. But what does that mean? It means that there is a certificate. It doesn't mean that the certificate itself is from a valid place. You can check that it is. You could look at the certificate, see who signed it. Most people don't do that. They see, they go on the shopping site, they see that green padlock. Okay, I'm good. I'm just going to buy some things there. Um, they might, they might be under some false sense of security here. But I, you know, I think that's pretty much a big topic of this podcast is the false sense of security that seems to perpetuate. I think every single episode we talk about that yeah. in one form or another.
1: Um, And that can happen, for example, when a certification authority has some issues. Um, It has happened in the past. Certification authorities were untrusted that they, up to a certain point, all the browsers and operating systems would accept them, and then there was some security incident, and they stopped accepting them. And what usually happens is that they they create certificates they shouldn't. For example, they create certificates for entities that uh, they should not have been creating certificates. Um, Symantec was a good example. We already yeah. talked about it when we talked about certificates. Um, but um, there are others. There was one in 2013 that I believe I also mentioned in that episode where certificates for Google services were created to, and sent to someone that was not from Google, obviously. And, yeah. You should at least look at the certificate, see who the issuer was, see if it's actually reputable. Um, and its I know it's tricky to understand if it's reputable or not. You'll see the name of a company that probably means nothing to you, the, the, right. the issuer there. But uh, you should at least look and see that it wasn't just a self-signed certificate that your machine happens to be trusting because somebody added it to your system. Um, like you said, by itself, just the certificate, there it means that there is an encryption in the certificate that was sent to your browser was valid. It doesn't mean anything other than that. Right. And yep. all the rest is also important. You also have to trust that. I know this takes. It's hard to educate users in IT to have good security practices. And we've yeah, been and trying as
0: f- simple as you can. And sometimes, yeah. that's, you know, explaining is not simple
1: we've been trying it for years and it's still people still haven't realized that they shouldn't reuse passwords for example um yep. but um, and this is harder this is admittedly harder to teach people to to do they have no they should have no necessity of doing that but the mechanism is in place is this and you'll see the the padlock and you will immediately assume it's safe there should be some little voice in the back of the user's head that says, okay, maybe I should just look at the certificate and see if what it actually says there. And maybe there are some red flags there. Maybe there are some typos on what's written there. Maybe there is some weird messaging around some website that wasn't supposed to be showing there and it is. Um, but there are some red flags that the, the user should be alerted to. And even if it's just the first time that you access the website or every month or every other week or, I don't know, whenever you feel like it, it's just just take a look at the, the certificate. See if something seems out of place there.
0: Yep. But, yeah. If it seems out of place, you really should pay attention. I mean, if you're looking at the company name and assert, if you click on the address bar and you know where the padlock is, it's green. It looks good. You click on it, and then you think, well, it's. A, I'm on Google's site. Why is one of the O's bigger than the other? And then they don't realize that's actually like G O. Yeah. Zero. zero. G-L-E for Google, not actually Google. I'm just making this up, but um, sometimes you'll see things like that that just well, that's really weird is that like a different font no it's not a font. if you know we don't have fonts and certificates okay it, it, it we don't have that we, we're not going to see a certificate in comic sans let's be honest here so if you see something odd about a domain name anywhere i don't care if it's in a cert or elsewhere um okay that's a red flag we really probably should um air out a caution there but that's not i don't want to belabor that because there's other signs too but um the average person they're not going to know how to check a cert but at the very least, understand that the absence of a cert is a big problem, and the presence of a cert does not mean that there is no problem it just yeah. you know, that that's basically the main takeaway I think um, and then, if you are more knowledgeable, you could follow the chain, this check the certificate authority, do whatever you want to do there. but um, at the very least, don't assume that you're good if you see that padlock
1: yeah and and I'm sure most people will be i don't know not. <laughs> they won't like the, the way that we presented this around the certificate here. They might not be completely satisfied with what we said here about the, the presence of the certificate not being totally sure, uh, a guarantee of security there, but it really isn't. If you think about it, it really is not a guarantee of 100% security. Just because there is a certificate there, there might be a man in the middle, there might be a dozen other different things that could cause that certificate to show up there and still not be valid. And uh, we sometimes teach our users and let them know that, okay, you should look for that uh, padlock there. And if you see it, everything is fine. That might not be the correct message. If you're responsible for the, for enlightening your users or doing help desk or something like that, this is a good way to, to think about how to phrase that a bit better. Actually teach them to look, If, for example, if your user tells you that uh, there was this warning message about the certificate changing on their home banking site, for example. It's basically their browser telling you, okay, we're seeing something that wasn't here the last time we visited, is this okay? And some browsers will say that. And your help desk uh, team should be knowledgeable enough to see that as a red flag, because that was not something that should be happening. And that's the message that you should be passing to your user. Okay, calm down. Don't enter your account details. Don't log into that website. Let us check that first and we'll get back to you. Right. And yeah.
0: Yeah, that, pay that's a, bit more that's attention a good to point. That. Yeah, pay more attention to that. There, there was, I don't know how long ago this was now, there was a push. I don't remember which browser it was. If it was Google Chrome or Mozilla or whatever, but there was this, thought process that was going around about getting rid of the green padlock, green check box altogether, like literally never show you it. Um, and it, But what it would be is that if there is no cert, it would actually show a big error, like make it really obvious, like the whole address bar is red at this point, right? Um, to kind of try to curb this. I don't know where that went. I don't think it's gone anywhere. I'm not sure if they're still debating this. But the idea is like, you know, don't show the green check box and give people a false sense of security but absolutely let them know if it's not encrypted. That's a problem. make that red but don't show like a checkbox to make them think everything's okay. I have mixed feel I have mixed opinions on that I think I can understand both sides but mm-hmm. um, I, I think changing the narrative around this is probably a good idea no matter what
1: yeah. And if nothing else just think uh, about it for a few seconds and try to see if you can understand all the issues and all the nuances around this. Um, because you might be trusting something that shouldn't deserve that trust. Yep.
0: The last one that I have, and I'm going to have a horrible, a funny, well, not really funny, ironic, but just bad story to go along with this one. But um, the next one and the last one, number five, is you only have to worry about outside attackers. That's the myth. But I actually, I don't know. I mean, so- sometimes that this could be hard to, Form into a sentence because people generally don't blind trust everyone. I mean, obviously, if you, you have a company, if you've ever been involved in the termination process when an employee's time at the company has come to an end, um, usually you know the, there's it's calculated when to lock everything down because we don't know. I mean, they seem like a nice person, and they just lost their job? Or are they going to just act crazy or um, get really irate about it? And well, I mean, I don't. That's a whole other story altogether. But people understand that. But I think what the issue is here is that, getting it back to the security side of things, is that um, a lot of companies spend all their time protecting against outside attackers, which is great that they do that, but then they completely don't even look at the security issues on the inside of the company. And I'm absolutely not going to mention the name of this company, I never really, I never do, but especially not this one um, that I used to work with a long time ago. They had security in place, Um, they, they actually did, but, (laughs) oh boy, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, their accounting team had this line printer that they would use because, you know, they still exist for some reason or another where these old financial reports come out. The line printer was in the server room so that people in the accounting team were going into the server room in and out. Okay. This is a temperature controlled server room in every sense of the word, there should be no one in there. They had the the whole case with hard drives and parts unlocked. There's no lock to get into that shelf. There's no lock to get into the server room. And people that are not IT people are going in there constantly to get paperwork. And the server rack wasn't locked either. Okay. So you could have all the security in the world. But the minute you you forget the other things, you could have someone who means ill will i mean they can get right into the server they could put a magnet up to something they could um i don't know what they could do they could they could start like just they can get a hammer and start smashing things um they can get right into the rack without even any opposition and no one checked who was going in there i mean yeah we see people going in there but sometimes you know we would go to lunch or whatever and i I would just bring this up this is very early in my career to management like this is really bad we really shouldn't be doing this and "Eh, they don't I was just annoying them because they didn't want to hear hear this. They didn't want to put more money into things. They didn't want to change a the process. They didn't want to do anything. And so I'm the bad guy here because I'm you know stirring the pot. But it's a very legitimate thing. And a lot of companies, they don't really think this way that um, their own internal employees could become a problem. And sometimes, and this is very important um, side note to this, um, it's not always on purpose when people do harm. Okay. So we talk a lot about the, you know, someone just gets irate or gets upset, but sometimes somebody just doesn't mean any ill will at all. And, you know, I, I worked at one company where the entirety of a network share got purged because right access was given to everybody in the company. Anybody could make changes to this share. Right. So, Obviously, as, mu- as much as this is said, no one's going to raise their, oh, yeah, raise their hand. It was me. Sorry. I accidentally had my finger on control A or whatever when I was deleting that one file or whatever it is they did. And nobody would admit to this, but it was clearly someone who was in there and probably was like, oh, crap, I just deleted the entire company's directory of these very important binary files. Um, no one's in, in line to, to, you know, fess up to that. I wish they would, but you know how, how it goes. But that person didn't mean any harm. Um, at least I don't think so, because there was no other incident anyway. We don't even know who it was. But just because something could happen doesn't imply people wanting to kill the company. It could just be a um, that their mouse bumped the side of their uh, laptop or something and clicked on something that they didn't mean to, which is one of the most annoying things in the world. But um, the counter to this is that the, you know, the principle of least privilege, people should only have the minimum required Permissions and when I was asked to go after um, the people that created this system when this files got deleted, the first thing I did was I made that file that NFS share read only period read only to everybody that needs only the people that needs to have read access to it. people that are building projects with that with those binaries, but it was read only and if somebody wanted write access, they have to let someone know why they need it. What the use case for that is it has to be approved but unless you had like a really big use case um it was not going to be approved i mean yeah we could also mention the fact that they probably should have had backups that would have been really great but um the point is just make is- sure that you're not only focusing on people on the outside that's very very important
1: yeah, and we couldn't end the episode without mentioning the Raspberry Pi in the fake ceiling, in the false ceiling. So, yeah, th- that Raspberry Pi that cable that's somehow going into the, the ceiling, it's connected to a Raspberry Pi that's siphoning all your data and sending it away, and it's inside of your network. Yeah, someone another.
0: has a $45 backdoor in their network.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And that's not on the outside. So.
0: Yeah, that, that's, there's all these these things like you like i feel like we could have like a netflix tv series and just have like the average it team from any company it doesn't even matter which one and just follow the the type of calls they get and the type of things that they have to fix it would probably very entertaining actually
1: as long as it's not all just printer calls <laughs> Yeah, that would that would be horrible. That would that would that would not
0: get a second season at that point. But um, I think we'll, we might do this again, possibly in the future, with more myths because I had I, I, we had kind of a harder time figuring out you know which ones to go over. And I had some runners up that I was going to mention that I'm not going to because we'll probably just save that for another episode if if we do this topic again. But those are the five that we picked to be the five for this particular episode
1: yeah and i believe we covered all
0: of them and we did we absolutely did so as always i appreciate each of you watching listening and you know being a part of this awesome journey with us it's a yeah. fun podcast that we do we love to do it and uh pretty soon we'll be able to get some feedback as well we'll be opening the floodgates on that go to the website enterprise linux to catch up on episodes if you need to do that download them you could just you know, download them. You don't know, have to sign up. You don't have to pay anything. Just you can literally right click, save target as, and you have the episode right there for you to listen on your iPod or your 1996 MP3 player. We don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, everybody.
1: Thanks, everybody. Until the next one. See ya. Bye.